his throne or lift a hand to make the light shine in the dark create the sun the moon the stars and every creature in the sea and on the land he said let there be and his word was sufficient when jesus walked upon the earth his power showed through mighty works he healed the sick and caused the blind to see again sometimes he touched sometimes he prayed but when a man was brought one day to ask for healing that his body would be cleansed jesus said arise and his word was sufficient garden full of gloom two women wept before a tomb their brother Lazarus had now been dead for days Jesus said take the stone away lifted his eyes began to pray then spoke three words that echoed through that place Lazarus come forth and his word was sufficient three Roman crosses on a hill three men were tortured nailed and killed Jesus the word made flesh was buried in the ground would God accept this sacrifice what is atoning blood suffice he left no doubt when three days later he walked out he's a living word and the word is sufficient for every question every trial every mountain every mile for for reproof, for instruction, and for truth. It will never pass away, and it's relevant today. It's God's Word, and the Word is sufficient. The Word is sufficient. Right there, amen. The word of God is still sufficient, amen. Let's all stand uh, this morning and uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Certainly want to welcome you to our fall revival uh, today. And uh, morning services are just normal times this morning, and then tonight 
at 6.30. We'll have our evening service. There's no Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. And then Monday through Friday each night, 7 o'clock. Be in your place, amen, and looking forward to a great week uh, in the Lord. I also wanted to mention this, and I failed to mention this this morning. If you have kids in Faith Baptist School, we are dismissing at noon every day this week. And so I wanted to mention that. Make sure you come get your kids, amen. Uh, But let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Ask God's blessing on our services. I'm going to ask Brother Alan Quinlan if you would open us in prayer this morning. Amen. Would you turn to page number 11? Page number 11 in your hymn book and sing with us this morning. Come thou fount of every blessing. Page number 11. Let's sing it out together on that first verse. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy number 221 how firm a foundation let's sing all four or six verses i'm sorry as we begin this morning page 221 what a wonderful song pay attention to these words as you sing them this morning how firm a foundation ye saints of the lord is laid for your faith in his excellent work Jesus has fled 
Amen. Let's get around and shake hands together this morning. What a wonderful song. Welcome all our visitors. We're thankful you chose to be here this morning. If you lost that page number, let's go ahead and turn back there. Page 221. I love the last two verses. We're going to sing them again. The choir thought I forgot about them. I did not. It was by design because I want to sing the last two verses again. Fear not, I am with thee. Aren't you thankful the Lord's with you today? Amen. And the last one, the soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. He says, I will not, I will not desert. Aren't you thankful the Lord doesn't desert us? Amen. We need him. He's there. We need him this week. Amen. Let's sing the last two verses, verses 5 and 6. Really think about those words as you're singing this morning. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand up. By my righteous omnipotent and on the last the soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose I will not I will not desert to its foes that soul though all hell should endeavor to shake I'll never no never no never Great start this morning, Brother Tim. I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 2 as the men come for the offering. 
And you hath he quickened, that would be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Brother Will Kennedy, would you pray for the offering this morning? Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you, Ms. Madison. I want you to stand with me again, if you would. Let's turn to page 618 for our last song together. Page 618. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. We need Christians that will stand up for the Lord. Amen. Let's sing it out. All four verses. Page number 618. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. He soldiers of the Sunday school hour this morning. You missed a great time and a great message. We also had some great singing. So behind me is the Assurance Trio from Heartland Baptist Bible College, and so they're going to sing a special right before the message this morning. I know it'll be a blessing to you. He was led to of town then nailed to a rugged cross as the mockers gathered round the sky spoke like thunder when he finally bowed his head he who had given life now hung there dead then his mother and some friends came to carry him away they were searching through their broken hearts, trying to find the faith to pray. The sky spoke like thunder when they laid him in the grave. Look, they laid him in the grave. 
today and my cares all fell away he made me feel like life had just begun he said all of my trials can be turned into triumph through the victory that he's already won and i talk to him today and the comfort that he gave filled me with desire to tell the world that on calvary he died but right now he's alive i know because I talked to him today. Mary Magdalene came breathless to the place where Peter lay. He was searching through his broken heart, trying to find the faith to pray. But as he heard her joyful story, his sorrow could not stay. And the hope sprang out from the words he heard her say. She said, I talked to him today, and my cares all fell away. He made me feel like life had just begun. She said, all of my trials can be turned into triumph through the victory that he's already won. And I talk to him today, and the comfort that he gave filled me with desire to tell the world that on Calvary he died, but right now he alive I know because I talked to him today yes on Calvary he died but right now he is alive I know because I talked to him and that's been a blessing, hasn't it? Have a assurance for you uh, here with us, and uh, going to be here uh, tonight as well. And so certainly pray for them. We got quite a few of our. Uh, Heartland students uh, that are home uh, through the weekend. So we've got a lot of happy mom and dads, amen, and uh, so thankful for that. Maybe some going, you need to get back, amen, I don't, uh, but uh, anyways, it's been a good uh, week and uh, excited about uh, this morning, and so uh, Brother Herring did a wonderful job in Sunday school, and uh, just a blessing. We need the Lord to speak to us and to undo some of our thinking and to deal with us, and I'm thankful he does those things. And so, Brother Herring, you come and preach to us uh, this morning. Looking forward to it, brothers. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Proverbs in chapter number 16. I'm so thankful to be here. And thank you for being so welcoming. We just enjoy getting to mingle and 
see all the smiling faces and grateful for that. And what great weather. Amen. Thank you for ordering that for this meeting. And uh, that's a blessing, I'm telling you what. And uh, beautiful, beautiful facilities and just beautiful weather. And we're thankful to be with you. Looking forward to what God's going to do. Assurance, thank you for that. What a great song. My word. Isn't that true? I mean, listen, just the joy of talking to the Lord. I had one of my members come to me one time and said, Preacher, i got a problem. I said, what is it? He said, we, we, I fall asleep. I'm praying at night, and, and in my prayers, I fall asleep and never complete the prayer. And I said, that's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever do. There's no way in the world I'd rather f- fall asleep than talking with them. You think God's looking at you and saying, really? You're sleeping on me? No, 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 no. Last, the, the last person I speak to at night, I want it to be him. And uh, so, yeah, just, just pray. Fall asleep praying and wake up praying. Amen? That's, that's the best way to do it, the way to end the day and start the day. So that was a great song and such a blessing to my heart. I want you to look in the book of Proverbs chapter 16. Preacher, do you normally stand? Okay, would you stand, please? And um, we're going to read a verse of Scripture, and uh, then we're going to have prayer this morning. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. You know, that verse says, basically, it's better to be poor and humble than rich and proud. That's what I'm talking about. Now, the problem with humility is, who writes a book on it? The pastor and I have co-authored a book called Humility and How We Obtained It. And then a sequel is The Ten Most Humble People in the World and How We Train the Other Eight. You know, I mean, mean, who writes a book like that, you know? How do you preach a message on humility when you know you are in need of it, you know? And so the Bible gives us a warning here in verse number 18. If you have pride, that is a preceding mark of destruction. When you find pride in your life, you know it's not going to end well because that path is a dead end. That path is a destructive direction you're going in. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride, pride is the spirit that lifts us up. Haughtiness is the putting into action of that spirit. So when I'm prideful, I think I'm better than everybody else. When I'm haughty, I say I'm better than everybody else. I try, to, I try to act. I try to advance myself over them. And so let's pray and then ask God to speak to our hearts. Lord, help us today. We are a needy people. We're dependent upon you and we need your help. We would ask at the very onset of this message that you would be thorough with us, that you would delve deeply within who we are. We, we know, God, we confess the fact that that, that everything on the outside can be whitewashed, and yet inside it can be full of dead men's bones. We confess the fact, Lord, that we can learn the routine. 
We can learn the lingo. We can have the speech and have the appearance and everything outwardly can look great, but on the inside, dear God, we can have a spirit that is so contrary to your word. And so I pray that today we would glorify you both in our body and in our spirit. And we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. It was a stifling hot day on June the 25th in 1876 in a valley that we call Little Bighorn, but the Indians of that area called it the Greasy Grass after the narrow river that snaked its way through those hills and bluffs. The, the Black Hills were so sacred to the Indians that they called it the heart of everything that is. They had made their living there for centuries. There's a great book, by the way, after that title, The Heart of Everything That Is, that talks about Red Cloud and Crazy Horse and the Indians of the Black Hills, where you girls are very familiar with, one of the most beautiful places. If you ever go there, if you ever go there and just just see it, you'll understand why it was such a sacred and a special place to them. George Armstrong Custer had arrived there, not so much in pursuit of the Lakota Sioux uh, and the Cheyenne as he was of the glory that had evaded him ever since the war between the states had ended. He had risen rapidly in rank, and so much so that that he was called the boy general, and yet that, that rank of general was a brevet. It was temporary, and so after the war, uh, he was uh, returned back to being a captain. And in the West, there was not much opportunity for advancement. There was no real place as it was in the war to find yourself a place of glory and to make a mark for your name and to earn some fame on a field of battle, that there was no real way to do that, no way to distinguish himself. And so the only appointment that he had gotten was to lieutenant colonel of the 7th Cavalry, and out of respect for his years in the war, his men still called him general. But the lack of official rank just ate away at Custer. It was constantly a burr in his saddle. His court-martial and one-year suspension without pay falling out with, with the Grand Administration, uh, losing uh, some favor with General Sheridan, and then the ineptitude of the officers around him that were assigned to do battle with what was called in Washington the Indian problem. Uh, it left him yearning to fight one, one more battle. If he could just grab one moment in time, it would propel him and etch his name in glory and in fame. And in fact, in that day, because of Grant's rise from the army to the White House, there was a lot of talk floating around that, that Custer could perhaps be the next candidate for the president of the United States of America, but he needed another feather in his cap. And so here he was. Here he was, the Black Hills, little bighorn, boasting that he and his 7th Cavalry could whip all the non-treaty Indians on earth. And in that valley on that day, he would get the opportunity to prove that he could do just that. Now let me just say this, and I'll get to my point, but just stay with me for a moment. Nobody could ever accuse Custer of cowardice. Whatever you want to say about the man, the man was not a coward. In every battle, he led the charge. He insisted 
that no one be in front of him, he led the charge into the battle. He had 11 horses shot out from under him. And, and he was not great at strategy, but, but, but he, he, um, he had as his greatest weakness his courage. It was also his greatest strength. You know, it's oftentimes that way with people there. Their great strength becomes their great weakness. And so, so it was with Custer turned down an offer of four second battalion companies that would have bolstered his fighting force, uh, refused a battery of Gatlin guns that could fire 350 rounds per minute. He led the 7th Cavalry that day to a fame that they would pay very, very dearly for. Rather than sending out a reconnaissance team to, to look the area over, he threw caution to the wind. A veteran Crow scout said to him, Don't, sir, do not divide your men into three columns. Do not do that. Custer's reply to him was this, You do the scouting and I will attend to the fighting. And what Custer's blind arrogance, his confidence, overconfidence, his pride not only in his own ability, but in the ability of his men, uh, it blinded him to the fact that a coalition of tribes led by Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse had determined they would never run again. Their running was over. And so Custer would face the largest gathering of hostile Indians that any white man had ever seen before. It was the most mishandled, poorly organized, and vaguely communicated battle plan, perhaps in the history of the United States. As soon as the battle broke loose, the air quickly became thick with dust from galloping horses and, and uh, the gunpowder of tens of thousands of gun blasts. The sounds of death were everywhere. The screams of men and dying horses writhing in pain mingled with the war cries of painted warriors. And by the time that the sun set on Little Bighorn, that buffalo grass was stained crimson with the blood of, of U.S. cavalrymen that lay motionless beneath the scorching sun. Custer found his glory, and his name was indeed etched in history, but it would be his last stand. George Custer. His death shook the nation like no death had before since the 11 years when Lincoln was assassinated. And the greater tragedy in all of this is not just that one man lay dying or, or dead or that often in Little Bighorn there's a marker, his body was exhumed and taken to West Point, but not that there is a marker where he and his brother fell and it's the other markers that are there. It's the men that died pursuing his goal, following his ego, and sabotaged by officers who hated Custer almost as much as they hated the Lakota Sioux. Now, the thing I love most about history, having taught it for 20 years in high school, the thing that I, I love most about history is because in history, you see the principles of the Word of God lived out by people. It's unbelievable. People want to deny the Bible. Well, do this. Just study history. And over and over and over and over on our continent and on uh, other continents and in, in, in remote places, you find 
lived out before our very eyes the Word of God and the truth of the Bible exhibited in the actions of sinful men. The lesson of little bighorn can be found in Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Again in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12, before destruction the heart of man is haughty and before honor is humility. It's very easy for us today to look at George Custer and Frederick Benteen and Marcus Reno and see the pride and the arrogance that led them uh, and their men to their death or, or, or that, that caused them to refuse to go beyond the call of duty. Even when fellow soldiers were being slaughtered, they sat and did nothing because they, 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 they felt like to do so would, would lend some sort of credence to, to Custer's agenda. It's easy to do that. Read the book, A Terrible Glory, by James Donovan's incredible book, greatest book I've ever read in my life on, on Custer and the Little Bighorn. So the problem is not seeing the pride in those men and in others. The problem is seeing the pride in ourselves. That's, that's the struggle. 107 times the Bible mentions pride or proud or haughty. And it's exhibited throughout the Bible. We, we, we see the Bible's not just full of warnings of pride, but God actually illustrates it for us in the life of others. You know, if I, if I wrote a book, I, I would write a book that, 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 that probably overlooked the flaws, you know, of my heroes. I, 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 would, I would look beyond that. I want to focus on the good things. But God bears it all for us so that we can not just learn from our own mistakes, but that we might learn from the mistakes of others and avoid committing those same mistakes. Pride is all in the Bible. It's Satan wanting to be God. It's Adam and Eve's disobeying God. It's Cain's anger that God had rejected his works-based offering. It's Pharaoh saying, and who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's Job's three friends that set themselves up as judges. It's King David when he numbered the people. It's King Saul saving Agag. Uh, as a battle trophy. It's Naaman not wanting to dip in the Jordan River. It's King Uzziah assuming the priestly duties. It's King Hezekiah uh, showing off the temple riches. It's Nebuchadnezzar saying, and who is that God that I should obey him? Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Who is that God? It's stiff-necked Israel wanting to have a king uh, like the other nations around them. It was the Pharisee who thanked God he was not like the publican. It was the elder brother who was, who was as far from God. In fact, he was further from God in the front yard as, they, as the prodigal had been uh, in the hog pen. It's James and John asking for the position of prominence. It's the disciples forbidding the man uh, to walk with them uh, simply because they didn't do it their way. It's Peter proclaiming that he would die before he would deny. It's Herod accepting his status as a god right before worms devoured his body. It's the church at Laodicea that declared, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Pride. Pride. Jaquel Crow said this, we know the disease, but we don't recognize the symptoms. You see, the reality of the matter is, is simply here uh, that, that, that in this revival, the thing that we're going to have to allow God 
to deal with first. If we're going to get any other step, it's the pride within us. Because it's your pride that will blind you to your need. It's your pride that will, that will strike you with fear as if you walk down the, the aisle and kneel at this altar. What will other people think? That's pride. It's your pride making you think that the message is for everybody else. It's your pride making you think, I don't really need this. You see, this isn't for me. I'm going to pray for everybody else. No, it's you. It's you. Well, it's pride telling you, well, I made a decision last night. Well, this is a new night. This is another message. And it could be that God brings us to the altar multiple times because there are multiple things that we need to deal with. And the only thing that will bring us to that point is when we're willing to yield our prideful hearts to God. We don't know the symptoms. I think of the pandemic. I want to tell you, we got a pride-demic in our churches. Preacher, I don't have pride. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you demand respect? You feel like respect is owed you? Do you reject advice when people give it to you? Do you have a habit of speaking harshly to others because you feel like your voice is more important than theirs? Do you become angry when you're corrected? Are you an expert in spotting fault in other people rather than yourself? Do you feel like you have to put on a fake when you're around people because you don't want them to see the real you? Are you easily offended? Are you hungry for attention? You view yourself as better than others? And by the way, that's the wonderful thing about Facebook. You can be anything you want to be. That's where social media has us. People's marriages are falling apart, but they're getting on and saying, my one true love, love you forever, hugs and kisses, you mine, I'm yours. You can be anything you want to be. You can be the greatest singer, the best athlete. You, you, you can present yourself as anything. And listen to me, what, what, what it's done, and I'm on social media, but, but what it's done is it's created an avenue whereby we can flourish our pride and promote it. We, be, we become self-promoters. And it takes even good things and turns them bad. We get to the place to where we're actually prideful about how many times we read through the Bible. What? I just read through the Bible my 101st time. Well, who are you saying that for? Why do you want everybody to know that? You know? And sometimes God, God will take things that we feel are innocent and God will say, mm. let, let me tell you something about you and me that we have in common. You ready for this? My heart is like your heart, and your heart is like my heart, in that it's desperately wicked. And somebody says this, well, preacher, if I know my heart, you don't. You don't. That's why the Bible says, and who can know it? Well, if I know my heart, that's not in it at all. You have no idea what's in your heart. That's why you need the Spirit of Almighty God to point things out to you that may shock you. And things that you're doing, you may be doing for the wrong reason. Listen, that's why when we stand before the Lord at the Bema seat, that's why that all of the wood, hay, and stubble is going to be consumed by the all-knowing eyes of Jesus. He's going to see through all of that. Are you a complainer? You know why people complain? Because they think they deserve better. 
So we complain and gripe about certain things. Now let me give you a couple of things here as we move along, because we're talking about, we're talking about the need in, in, in this initial beginning morning service on how we're going to let God deal with us. And the problem with pride is that it causes us to overestimate ourselves and to underestimate others. You see, we, we, we elevate ourselves, we build ourselves up. Luke chapter 18, why don't you jump there real quick? Luke chapter number 18. Let me just show you a, a verse of scripture that, that, is, that is, this guy is the poster child for pride and Phariseeism. And so here, here's this comparison that comes. The Pharisee, verse number 18 of Luke, uh, verse number 11 of Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Okay, who's he praying with? Himself. <laughs> it's not going very far. Okay, he's praying with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And then he describes them extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. Somebody said pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. And so what we oftentimes do is we come in and, 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 and we find somebody that we feel like is somehow on a lesser level than us. And that, that inflates us and makes us feel like we are somehow better than them. And it overestimates, we overestimate ourselves and we underestimate others. Can I tell you this? Uh, they may not be as far along as you are, but they could have traveled a further distance. Where they started from and where you started from, you may have had a great advantage over them. And you may, you may have some scripture memorized and you may have some, some things done in your spiritual life that they haven't quite handled yet. But they traveled a longer distance to get where they are than you did to get where you are. I'm just telling you, if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. Chapter uh, 6 of the book of Galatians in verse number 3. And you might think that somehow... In the house of God and in the work of God, that these types of fleshly thoughts don't enter the mind. But it's not true whatsoever. We place more value on ourselves and less value on others. And we write our own press releases and, and we become our own promotional managers. And, and, and we begin to ask questions with pride. It happens in the ministry. Why is his church bigger than mine? Why did his church buy him a car when I didn't? When mine didn't. I was in a revival meeting one time back in Georgia where a guy got, out, got up and talked about how his church had blessed him. He was trying to encourage the church to watch out for the pastor. And, and he talked about uh, his church bought him a brand new car and, and then bought him a, 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 a year or so later a, a four-wheeler to hunt on. He had some property where he could hunt and the church was just good to him. It was a large church and they was just, just really did him well and tried to treat him the best they could. The pastor of the church got so jealous and angry at what was done for the evangelist that he resigned his church. He's a friend of mine and has never found a home today. What was it? It was pride. It's, it's the comparison. It's the feeling that I'm as good as he is. I deserve what he deserves. Now, now listen to me. That, that's, that's just one illustration. You can filter that down when somebody gets up and gives a testimony of how God's blessed their life and others sit there and say, well, you know, I wish, I wish God would bless my life that way. And so we, 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 get filled with, we get filled with pride and, 
And uh, it, it, uh, C.S. Lewis said this, pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. And if we're not, if we're not careful, we can become infected with pride. And there's no mask that will keep that contamination. There's no vaccine that'll deal with it. And we can become discontented and unthankful for the blessings that God has given us. Amy Carmichael said this, If the moment I am conscious of the shadow of self crossing my threshold, I do not shut the door, and in the power of Him who works in us to will and to do, keep that door shut, then I know nothing of Calvary love. I want to tell you something, friend. Listen to me. Your greatest fear in your life should be the man in the mirror. Spurgeon, Spurgeon said, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. And so the thing that will keep you from having revival, the thing that will stop your marriage from becoming what God wants it to become, the thing that will sidetrack you as a young person and get you off script where you break the heart of your parents rather than bless your heart of your parents, whether you become a disappointment uh, ra- rather, rather than a testimony of God's mercy and God's grace, the thing that will shatter our churches and shatter our homes and shatter our relationships is when we're too prideful to admit that God's right and we're wrong. Pride also gives us a sense of entitlement. It whispers that we deserve to be on the receiving end. It makes us place expectations on others as to how we're to be treated. Well, the pastor passed me by and didn't shake my hand. It's foolish stuff. This is a church, not a daycare. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean really, come on. So, sometimes it's, it's amazing the things that offend people. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, can I talk with you? Sure. I've been mad at you for three months. You have? You've been mad at me for three months? Yeah, I just felt like I needed to talk with you. About what? And, and then there's something brought up. I'm like, what? where did that come from? Are you telling me for three months you sat in our services and hindered the Holy Spirit of God because you had some penny-ante thing in your crawl that you couldn't get right with God? Listen, we need, we need a revival of maturity and adulthood in our churches. Let me tell you what you're entitled to. You ready for this? Hell. That's what you're entitled to. Well, I'm entitled. Yep, you, you're entitled to die and go to hell and burn for all eternity. And everything else you get in life is by grace. If you got what you deserve, you'd go to hell forever and ever. But if, if, if you'll receive God's gift, you get to go to heaven forever and ever. Listen to me, there ought not be any complainers whatsoever. We ought never feel entitled. The elder brother, when he was angry in Luke chapter 15, uh, would not go in. So the father came out to him just like he did uh, uh, for the prodigal. And this is what the elder brother said. Listen to this. He said, Lo, these many years I do serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, yet thou never gave me a kid that I might marry with my friends. You made a party for him, but you didn't make a party for me. I did everything I was supposed to do. I mean, it's unbelievable, the childishness in that front yard. And here's the, here's the thing. Um, uh, it, the, 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 his heart was as far from God as the prodigal's was. Rather than rejoicing that his brother had come home, he whined about what he felt he deserved and how he had been cheated. 
Years ago, I was a young pastor in Georgia. And I needed some things done in my life financially. I needed, I needed we, we, weren't, we weren't living at a level to where we could even pay our bills. And so I was going to present to our people a way in which they could help us. And so I was talking to my mom about it. And sitting in her living room and I said this to my mother I'll never forget this I was about a 60 mile drive from where they lived and I said to my mom I said you know what I, I feel like after these years that I've earned my stripes I've been here now more than seven years two years in my home church seven years there I'm pastor now I, you know what I, mama I feel like I've I feel like I've earned my strikes I feel like I deserve this and you know what mama's gonna do mama's gonna say you're right son you deserve it. Yes, you do. You've also got a great singing voice. Thank God for a mother that couldn't hear well. But anyhow, <laughs> you know, she tells my kids I never did anything wrong. Your dad was perfect. Anyhow, so, yeah, I've earned my stripes. I went out and got in my car and cranked my car up and pulled back out onto the road and started heading back on a 60-mile journey through Fort Stewart. And the Holy Spirit just sort of tapped me on my heart and said, Oh, Dean, you've earned your stripes now. now. Now you're the one handing out stripes. You've determined that you deserved this. And he, he so deeply convicted me, so deeply. I wept on my way home and repented of my prideful spirit. When I got home, I called my mom and said, Mom, I, I got to apologize to you. Oh, baby, don't worry. No, 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 Mama, listen to me. You've got to listen to me. I've got to apologize to you. I want to tell you something. Listen to me. We better thank God for his blessings and stop walking around this world like God owes us perks. We've got to thank God for whatever mercy and whatever grace that he's given us. And, 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 and if we're not careful... Uh, if, if we're not careful, we, we get to a place where we're so prideful that our, that our pride shipwrecks us and, and sets us on the side. Proverbs 29, verse 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. He gives it to us over and over again. Let me tell you something else pride does. Pride exiles us to individualism. The more prideful we are, the less we feel we need others, you know. Somebody that thinks that they can live the Christian life outside of the local church that Jesus established is a prideful person. You think you can do it on your own, but you can't. Pride magnifies the importance of me. It sets me up as the standard for what all others must attain. I become your measuring device. You have to measure up to me in the way I live, in the way I dress, in the way I act. Or you don't measure up. That's what the Pharisees did. How arrogant for me to say the measuring device whereby everyone else has to own up to is me. What an arrogant stance for somebody to take. <coughs> we live in an echo chamber. Because we want everyone to say what pleases us and, and, and agree with us or appear identical to me. You know what? First Corinthians chapter 4. Jump over there, would you? 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. Let me show you some powerful scripture that Paul gives the church at Corinth. The 
verse chapter number four, verse number six. First Corinthians four six. In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why hast thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? The church at Corinth had a me problem. Had a me problem. And, and, and they argued over who was the most gifted and uh, over, even over who had baptized them. They were dividing over who their heroes were. It's ridiculous the way that, that we live as human beings so sinful. It was filled, the church was filled with division and with, with strife. And, 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 and they couldn't harmonize with others because all they could hear was their own voice. This is what I tell people. You want, you want power in our church? Would you like to have power in our church? Then come to the altar and pray for the power of God. There are no positions there's nothing that should be, listen, listen to me. There's no position in the world more important than the other. It's just being where God wants you to be. There's, there's as much honor in picking up a piece of paper in the foyer than, than, than there is any other work or ministry. What do you do if somebody doesn't mow the lawn? What if you do if somebody doesn't clean the facilities? What, 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 what do you do if some of the unseen things aren't done? I want to tell you, find out that the, the spotlight things, like maybe what I'm doing today, it could very well be that it wouldn't go as smoothly if it weren't for the people behind the scenes doing things. I'm always reminded when I go somewhere and somebody says, Brother Dean, how's the church doing? What's going on there? Or somebody makes a statement about what... What's happened over the years at South Valley, I'm always reminded, I'm always reminded of the people that plug in the coffee pots. That for 17, going on 18 years now, has set up every Saturday, taken down every Sunday. When I say the closing amen, there's an ant bed of people just dispersing things and packing them up. And I'm always reminded of the fact this is not a one-horse show, my friend. In fact, the reality, my, my voice may be the one that's heard, but my voice very well may not be the most important voice. Don't isolate yourself. Don't, 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 don't be exiled to individualism. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised there is wisdom. Somebody said an, an empty wagon rattles the loudest. And so let's get to a place to where we harmonize. And look around us and become aware of other people and what they're doing. Pride not only does that, but it puts distance between us and God. These six things doth the Lord hate. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. Guess what's batting lead off? A proud look. First up, lead off batter. A proud look. I'll tell you, God says, I hate this. And first off, I want you to know that I hate a proud look. Proverbs 16, verse 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, you can gather together with other prideful people. Look at, look at me. You, you, can take, you can take young people to a camp and drop them off that are total strangers, give them, give them a half a day, and, and the, the rebellious trouble crowd has found each other and are hanging out together. Yep. That's right. That's right. Yep. Though hand join in hand. Let me see. 
And so sometimes, sometimes in church, there are people that try to uh, gain disciples of discontentment. And they gather in little groups. And I had a guy early in my ministry come to me and said, Pastor, there's six families in this church. And if you don't change what you're doing, we're going to resign. We're going to leave. And I said, well, I don't know who they are. So I need you to do me a favor. Would you tell all six of them that I love them and that I'm going to miss their family when they're gone? Could, could you just, I mean, you're spokesman for them to me. So could you reverse that and speak for me to them? And he began to stutter like a farm tractor on a cold January morning. No, look, look at me. No, no. No, no listen, listen to me. The reality, though, hand join in hand, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how we find comfort in others that have a prideful spirit just like us. It puts distance between us and God. God hates pride. You know why? Because pride puts us in the place of God and, and it claims for us our, our own ability. Psalm 138 verse 6, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. Watch, but the proud he knoweth afar off. What does that mean? I mean, God not getting close to somebody with a prideful heart. If you feel distance between you and God today, it could very well be because there's distance between you and Him. Because the further you go in pride, the further you go from God. You see, and so, so God said, no, 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 I, I like the humble, but, but the proud I, I know afar off. James 4, verse 6, He giveth more grace, wherefore God said, uh, uh, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know what resist means? He means God saying, no, 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 don't don't snuggle up with me. No, no, don't snuggle up with me. I'm not, no, no, he's resisting. The prideful person is saying, I'm close to God. He's saying, God's saying, no, you're not. I'm right next to God. No, you're not. God's pushing you away. It it, it exiles us from God's presence. James 5, 5, the Bible says again, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way in the forward mouth do I hate. So clear from God. Last of all, let me just say this. Pride leads to prayerlessness. You know what the Bible tells us to do? We're to pray without ceasing. You know why we don't pray? It's because we think we can handle it on our own. John Rice used to say all of our failures are are prayer failures. When we get to the place to where we don't feel like we need to pray, I got this. I, got, I, I, I can handle this one. No, you can't. It can handle you, but you won't handle it. And the reality of the matter is every problem that we have uh, uh, get, comes down to the place to where, uh, to where pride takes over. And, and rather than seeking God's face, we declare our own declaration of independence from Him. I'll do this myself. If you're here today and you're trying to work your way to heaven, I can think of no other prideful way. If you can earn your way, work your way, pay your way, or any other way to heaven, would you explain Calvary for me? Would you tell me why, what happened on Golgotha's hill, outside of the gate of Jerusalem, why in the world did that happen if you can somehow earn and merit your way to heaven? It is the, listen to me, it is, the, it is the utter essence of pride for a man to think, I can get to heaven on my own. No, that's why Jesus had to come and die, because you couldn't get to heaven on your own. 
If somebody says to me, well, I don't, you know what, preacher, I just don't see it that way. It don't matter. I didn't write this, it's on my book. I didn't write this book. It's not my words. By the way, it's not your heaven. It's his. I come to your house and you have a sign that says, take your shoes off. You know what I got to do? Take my shoes off. You know why? It's your house. Heaven is his house. Heaven belongs to God. So God sets the entrance requirements. And it's not by baptism. It's not by living good. It's not given to United Way. Okay? That's not how you get to heaven. It's not, by, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that, that he has saved us. And the reality of the matter is pride is the thing that will keep us in our lost condition. You may be here, a member of this church. You may have respected family in this church. But there are quiet times in your life where you doubt your salvation and you're not, you're not settled and you're not sure that if you die today, you're going to heaven. The only thing that has kept you from getting your heart tuned back with God according to the scripture and getting saved is pride. You don't want people to know. You don't want people to think ill of you. Look, I'd rather people think ill of me on earth than for me to spend an eternity in hell without hope and without Christ. Pride. So here's what's going to happen this week. What's going to happen is God the Holy Spirit is going to move in your heart and He's going to touch places in your heart perhaps that you did not even know were there. You ever gotten on your knees and said this, Search me, O God. That's what David prayed. And see if there be any wicked... What? What? Me? No, yeah. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Would you, would you let God tell you what you need? Because he knows better what you need than you do. Pride. Let's pray. Would you bow your head?